You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season, whether I was out west during my elk hunt, South Dakota mule deer hunt, or my rut vacation in Iowa, I was on my phone using Onyx Maps every part of the day, whether I was looking at terrain features uh, on the topographic and, and satellite maps that they offer on their uh, uh, on their app, or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands, or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location. I used Onyx Maps every single day, and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map and uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before I had to wait till sun up and then and then you know find it that way but that problem does not exist anymore because of Onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that I think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n a t i o n 20 and for new users you're going to re- receive 20% off. So onyxmaps.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, but you know that today we are continuing a conversation that we had earlier this week with Chad Sylvester from Exodus Trail Cameras, and uh, the last episode we talked about... What did we talk about? We talked about my first year of being self-employed. We talked about the hunting industry. We talked about sacrifice. We talked about failure. We're talking about learning from failure. But now we're falling back into the groove. And on this episode, we're going to talk about late season scouting. And specifically, Chad with his buddies went on a late season scouting trip in Ohio. And they uh, covered a whole bunch of public ground. And on this episode, we talk about 
what it is that they were looking for, you know, terrain features, access routes, tree stand locations, sign, uh, deer, you know, any, anything related to deer and how they move. That's what we talk about today and how they take that information and use it in the fall when it's time to actually hunt the areas that they scout. So this episode is all about late season scouting. Uh, and we got a commercial here and I don't know where's my paper at. Here's my piece of paper. I believe it is Ozonics. Now you guys have heard me talk about Ozonics a lot and, uh, it's one of those products that you, you actually have to experience. Now it has its benefits outside of the timber when you can dry wash your clothes in the dry wash bag you can put a a layer of ozone kills the odor of your clothes you're not washing it as much and um, I think this in a 14 day period in my whitetail rut I obviously used my ozone every single day and there was only one or two days in that 14 day period that I actually washed and I mean took my hunting clothes, put it in a washer, washed it in scent-free soap and dried it. There was only one or two days in that 14 days that I did that because it got mud on it or it got wet. But all the other times, put it in a dry wash bag, run the ozone over it. It kills all of the odor and you're i walk into the timber feeling fresh. It's it's weird to say, but I feel fresh. Now, when you get into the timber, you got it in the tree and you just feel confident. And uh, I think that's really what it's all about. So if you want to find out more information about Ozonics and all of the products that these guys offer, and uh, they have a, they have a variety of different uh, they have a variety of different uh, units to choose from. You can go to OzonicsHunting.com, and there's a discount code here. I, I'm unorganized. I got a whole bunch of papers here. If you purchase one of the units, whether it's the HR300, the Orion, the HR230, you're going to be able to receive a free dry wash bag with your purchase by entering the discount discount code NFC19. So you purchase a unit, you get a free dry wash bag and then at that point you have everything you need you got the dry wash bag for after the hunt or before the hunt and you have the unit while you're actually in the tree or in the ground blind so it's a win-win again if you want to find out more information about ozonics and all the uh, products that these guys offer go to ozonicshunting.com we've done the commercial let's get into today's episode which is basically the part two of a previous conversation i had with chad exodus uh, chad sylvester of exodus trail cameras and we're talking about postseason scouting i want to do a hard i want to do a hard transition right now and i want to get into late season scouting um and you recently went on a scouting trip correct Correct. Last weekend. weekend. And this was to a a property that you hunt on a regular basis. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big chunk of public ground. Um, you know, in Hill country, big timber, Gotcha. um, about 70,000, 70,000 acres. And I've hunted it, um, on and off, uh, four out of the last five, five years in Ohio. Okay. All right. So, 
you've made the decision to put focus in this time of year. Why? Why this time of year to do your scouting? Well, there's it. Uh, it boils down to a, a couple things for me. One is I like to uh, when I look at my trail camera strategies and what I'm doing with trail cameras. A lot of it is long term stuff because I mean, obviously we have a trail camera company, so we have a lot of cameras out. And when you're running a lot of cameras, there's places that I might have interest in that I'll go hang a camera in summer, and I'll just let that camera soak and get a and get an accurate. Uh, collection of data points of what is happening through kind of each phase of, of the hunting season and you know during the postseason I'm able to go in and collect that data and then look to see you know if an area is hot you know October if it was a rut spot if it's a late season spot uh, how those deer are, are you know using that area so that's for me that's part of it is going down and um, checking all those long term uh, trail cameras that I, I've, I put out last year okay um but then the other side of it is, is just being able to go into woods with everything open. You know, all the foliage off, the sign, all the signs laid down for the entire season, and um, visually, you're just able to see uh, see a lot more, which makes my time in the woods a lot more efficient. Right. Um, you know, you're not wondering what's what's around this next point or what's on the next ridge. You know, typically I'm carrying binoculars and. Um, maybe I'll scan hillsides and um, and you know do things at a very very fast pace. Where if you're waiting till the sp- uh, spring green up, or if you're you know um, doing things from the summer, all that stuff is so so harder to see. Um, I just feel like you're just for me personally, I'm just wasting my time because again, this is a big woods area with super low deer densities. Um, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's two, three, four deer per square mile, super, super low. And a lot of the times when we're going in, in the postseason, you're not finding like telling telltale sign. Like you're not going in and finding uh, a cattle path beaten down on a bench or on a, on a hillside or across a bottom or a creek crossing. The sign is um, uh, not as easily seen. Gotcha. Um, just because the, the deer numbers are, are so low. So, right. yeah, for me, like, the postseason stuff is important because I get to go in, check those um, check those trail cameras, those long-term trail cameras, and then everything's just more visible. And I, I don't, you know, I don't think that's a secret. I think that's, you know, why most guys are doing their um, yeah. spending time this, this time of year scouting. Let me ask you about that trail camera data that you collect. You know, leaving a trail camera out, you know, for me, I don't get the luxury of doing that because I'm afraid they're going to get stolen during the the shotgun season and after the rut when I'm not on the farm. But, you know, there's an increase of other people there. I mean, it's just things that have happened in the past with me. But what what kind of data what is the data telling you? What are the trail camera pictures telling you about that area when you go to collect those pictures? Yeah. So one of the one of the big things I like to do is, um, you know, when I'm going in and looking at these long-term trail camera sites or, or uh, camera locations, I guess I'm trying to look. I'm trying to find topography that is going to funnel deer around the rut, um, and then I'll put boots on the ground during the postseason. And if I can find a scrape in that general location where there's uh, several topography features like benches or saddles um, adjacent to some kind of security cover. Um, that's where I'm leaving those cameras 
kind of long-term. And those long-term cameras will tell me, one, if that's a primary scrape, if it's being used all year, or the time uh, around the rut. Usually it's, you know, a, a three- to nine-day window. Um, well, I'll get daylight pictures of bucks coming in and working working these scrapes. And then, you know, typically that happens, you know, the end of October, no different than anywhere else. Um, but then I can also confirm, like, you know, 28 or 30, 30 couple of days later, that same cycle is happening, happening again. So those long-term strategies allow me to go into a spot the following year and say, okay, well, there's, you know, last year there were six different bucks that came through here in an eight-day window. If I'm, you know, if I have five, six, seven, eight days to hunt uh, and I'm not hunting a specific deer, I can just go post up in that spot as long as my access wind, you know, all that stuff is, is solid. I can go in there and um, have a have a stand location where there are high odds that I'm going to have an encounter in a very low deer density area. Right, right. So basically that data is just confirming, you know, because of because sign being so low because you have a low population of deer, that trail camera data is really important um, to basically tell you, I, I guess, equally as important is where deer are not versus where they are. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. All right. Yep. So, you know, you collect that data and, um, I think I know the answer to this, but does that then, so that allows you to make decisions on where your stand, where your stands are going to be. Yes. Um, you know, generally speaking, yes, but my, this is going to sound crazy, but my approach down there is, um, is a little bit different um, because I'm trying to hunt specific deer. Right. Like in the last four, the four, the four seasons that I've hunted there in the last five years, I've hunted two specific deer. Um, but again, those long-term, those long-term camera locations inside of that, that deer's home range is telling me, okay, he's in this area typically for two or three days. And then he's over here for two or three days. So yes, that's, um, that's essentially how I'm, how I'm using those cameras. Okay. So you've, through scouting and through trail camera intel, you've found an area that you want to hunt. Now, mm-hmm. we all know that finding an area or finding, let's say, the perfect tree stand location, it can be easier said than done. How do you reverse right. engineer that particular area to get access into it without bumping deer? Yeah, great question. So the first thing, you know, if I find an area like that, let's say I find a, a big primary scrape um, and there's a buck there that I want to hunt and he's, you know, he's, he's daylight walking there a lot. Well, if he's daylight walking there a lot, um, obviously there's bedding close. But the first thing I'm going to do there is start wind mapping. Every time that I'm in there, uh, I typically carry milkweed with me and I'm checking, I'm dropping milkweed, checking to see what the wind is doing versus what the wind is forecasted as so if they're calling for a like a, a, a southwest wind and i'm and i'm down in a um on a lower one-third or halfway down a slope uh on a, nor- a ridge running north and south um maybe on a point that's facing west and if i'm if i'm dropping that milkweed and i'm consistently getting some kind of south or southeast wind i can kind of say okay this is what the wind is doing here this is how if I was a buck, this is how I would be using this area based on these topography features. So that's kind of where it starts um, is one, trying to figure out how that deer is using that area. And then I'm trying to pinpoint bedding opportunities. Um, so actually, you know, use Onyx, 
go trying to locate any kind of betting opportunity, whether I think that's dope betting or buck betting. And then from there, that's where I'm looking at uh, my access route. So I'll go in and drop pins in these betting areas and know, um, you know, kind of what the wind is doing in that area and know like, okay, I need to, uh, I need to access, maybe I need to access um, from the north, but I need to be uh, down on the bottom on the other side of the ridge and then walk in and drop directly over top of that ridge to get to, to a spot that I'm hunting. So I'm not um, wind bumping deer, visually bumping deer, or audibly yeah. um, bumping deer. So I'm trying to I'm trying to actually locate all that stuff on my on Onyx, and I'll drop pins on my phone and then basically look at that topography in the wind and say, okay, these are my options for morning access or evening access um, and, and go, go about it that way. Yeah. You mentioned something that I think is really underestimated, and that is how terrain uh, affects wind direction because mm-hmm. we all know that you get into some of this hill country or really any terrain, whether that is – vegetation whether that is uh terrain itself or whatever it's it's you know the wind says north but you get in the woods and it's not going north i mean hell i got some spots where the the wind and the thermals are so um variable that it's hard to even get a a tree stand in that location and that's where the deer sign is why because they can smell everything you know, coming yep. through that, through that area. Now, exactly. uh, I want to elaborate a second on this, this wind mapping that you mm-hmm. do break that down because, um, it's something that I do too. And I want to see what, mm-hmm. how you do it. Um, because I think this is, this is huge when it comes to accessing a, a stand location. Um, because number one, I feel it can tell you that, this this stand location needs to be moved based off of access or number two which is the best possible you you can trick the deer into coming into an area if you find a, a really good terrain feature that's maybe hooking the wind and they're walking up yeah. into it you know what i mean so explain yep. how a little bit more specifically of, of how you're wind mapping so um as, as i said if you know based on those the, the data points I'm getting from those trail cameras, I'll generally say, okay, I want to hunt this deer uh, in this area. And while I'm while I'm staying at that location, I'll go ahead and start dropping milkweed. I'm doing all this from the ground in the postseason. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll drop that milkweed from the ground. I'll I'll try to look at that topography and pick out a few trees um, or <clears throat> or stand locations that I think that it will be uh, advantageous to the deer. Not not me. Um, so when I'm looking at these fan sites, I want to give the deer the wind. Um, but I want to be able to just have enough wiggle room to where at the point where he, at the point where he's going to cut my boot track or cut my scent comb, like that's my shot opportunity. So I'm trying to cut it very, very, very close. But, um, as far as the access, once I have all these pins and bedding, uh, and everything, kind of all these pins dropped on onyx on my phone i will actually go and look at that those topography features and walk them as i were to access now typically i'm i'm doing that backwards i'm starting at uh, my stand location and walking to you know in a direction where i would access from i'm dropping milkweed the whole time yeah because one of the things that i've i've found is uh in hill country at different elevations 
that wind is going to be doing <clears throat> be doing different things. Uh, on the you know on the bottom third, there might be more swirling, and as you climb that ridge or climb that hillside, the wind may get more consistent. And even even the thermals, um, the thermals are something I think that uh, I think people always think that you know thermals are either um, rising in the morning through the day, and they're only dropping in the evening. And I had a big eye-opening experience last year. Um, I had an encounter with a super super big deer. And he was using a spot that was, it was a western facing slope um, on a very, very steep hillside. And towards that bottom one third, maybe halfway up the hillside, there was a uh, series of benches. There was two benches there. And these benches are, when I say a bench, they're, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet wide at the most. And this deer, you know, both on trail camera and on the hoof would, would be using this lower bench um and i was hunting the upper bench and as i came in to hunt that for the first time i was dropping milkweed all day long and everything was the thermals were 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 dropping all day and i couldn't understand i couldn't figure out what was going on i had never you know when you when you read or listen to somebody talk about thermals they say that you know in in the morning once the sun comes up the sun heats the air and, and you know it's it's going to draw up up the hillside it catches an air current but this specific spot um it was it's so steep that when the sun rises it's not even it's not hitting that hillside till like three or four o'clock in the afternoon so those thermals in that spot would drop all day long uh until three or four o'clock until the sun was far enough in the western sky where it hit that hillside and then the thermals would rise for a couple hours or an hour hour and a half and then as the sun set they start dropping again and that deer uh well all the deer in that area knew that and all the movement and sign um was on that on that lower bench so that was uh you know again that was something that i had never seen in person and it was hard for me to believe and i i kind of thought it was just like a fluke like i don't know you know what i don't know what the hell's going on here but we should be rising were you getting busted no, no, was not getting busted. And that's what makes that set bulletproof. So that uh, there's about 30 yards between those two benches. And I'm high enough, and this is another thing, the height of your stand is going to dictate uh, where your scent cone is going to be going as right. well. Um, I was high enough in the tree when I was dropping milkweed. My milkweed was going two or three, four feet over top of this deer's back. Wow. And on that bottom bench, again, when that bench dropped off, it's super, super steep, like uh, way steeper than a one-to-one. Yeah. And thermals would get sucked down there and then actually go up the other hillside. So it's, it's kind of a, a big valley there. Um, and then that, that eastern-facing slope on the other side was, was drawing all the um, – uh, getting all the sun and drawing that cold air kind of up the other hillside. So uh, it was a pretty unique area um, that I – you know, I had never seen anything like that before. Uh and, but it was consistent regardless of uh, what the wind was doing. Right. The wind was always um, coming some kind of southern, southerly variation, usually south or southeast in that specific spot, and the thermals would drop all, all day. Wow. Um, and, yeah, it was just something that I had never never really yeah. thought about. But, um, you know, in, in hill country, I think depending on that topography and which way those 
slopes are facing, how steep those embankments and hillsides are, they're going to change how those thermals um, react as that air is either warming up or cooling down as well. Right. You know, I we 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 use our eyes a lot, right, to make decisions, right? So mm-hmm. you know, like where a whitetail, they, uh, you know, you hear the, this statement: a whitetail can smell like we can see in color, right? We mm-hmm. see vividly, we see details. And, and from my understanding, they can smell details, right? They can smell, right. you know, there's a hunter, but he's wearing rubber boots and he's wearing cotton clothes and he's wearing, you know, like he's got a beard and whatever. They they can smell that detailed. Right. I wish, if I had one wish, it would be to see how deer smell, where you can see where the wind is going and you know see the little arrows or what does that make sense i know it sounds crazy but if you like if a guy could see like that he would be the he would be the best hunter in the world because he would instantly know where deer are going to travel based off of the little squirrels you know like why do deer travel at certain parts of ridges well it's because they're probably getting an updraft and they're getting the downdraft all in the same trail and they can smell below them and above them um exactly so do you through your scouting, you know, and and through your tree stand time, are you able to see trends on terrain features to where when you walk into a new area that you've never scouted before, you can start putting uh, theories together of how the deer are using specific terrain, basically to and then that that basically cuts down on your your scouting time because you can you can look at a, a terrain feature or a ridge and go well i know what they're doing because i have you know i have specific uh experience hunting a ridge just like this yes and no <laughs> i'm going to kind of escape this question a little bit um yes um the things that i see are uh you know with all the different all the different trail camera setups that we have which are a lot uh, and all the scouting um this is probably consistent with anybody that hunts hill country, probably, uh, if you ask them the same question. But I'm not seeing stuff, sign, and daytime activity on the very tops of these ridges. Right. And I'm not seeing stuff at the very, in the bottoms, in the very, at the very bottoms. Um, the, ridge, the ridge tops that I hunt, um, or the areas that I hunt, they're very, very uh, steep and almost pointed. So they're not flat. Um, you're not getting big oak flats on top of these ridges. A lot of times these ridges are only uh, five to 15 feet wide on the very top. So, um, there are, you know, there are scrapes, there are rubs and things on the, on those, um, on those tops, but typically from trail cameras, um, all that signs laid down at night. And it's the same yeah. thing, um, the same thing down in, in the very bottoms. Now, when, when I start to look at the topography features on Onyx and try to like duplicate them, um, the areas that I hunt, it's, it's, it's a place um, it's a place where topography isn't redundant. So you're not seeing a lot of the same types of bridges. The ridges are very short. You're lucky to see a ridge that that's a mile long. So it's not like, uh, it's not like West Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania, New York, or Kentucky, where you have these long, um, long straight ridges where deer get on and, and they're traveling, traveling miles. These areas are short ridges with, points and drainages um everywhere so there's a ton of uh a little more aggressive yes very very aggressive so the things that i try to duplicate are um upper one-third benches or i guess the topography that i look for are 
upper one-third benches, lower one-third benches, and I like very, very subtle saddles. Um, you know, when, when you start to look at saddles on Onyx, I think that the, the big, deep saddles are, are things that um, basically everybody picks out. You know, a hunter looking at their top of the map and they see the big saddle, it's, you know, it's typically get, getting on, automatically getting marked. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that to go scout it. But um, with all these different trail cameras that we're, that we're, have set up, we have more mature deer using a little less subtle terrain features. And I think that's just predicated on there's less human intrusion or human pressure, pressure um, on the more subtle terrain features. I think some of those spots are, are really overlooked. Right. Um, but all together, all that, you know, if I'm, if I see those topography features and I go scout that in the postseason, if there's not security cover or bedding in very close relation, um, I'm typically not going to hunt it. Now I'll throw a camera up there and let that camera soak for the year. And then, you know, collect those data points for the following year and actually see kind of what had happened, um, over the course of the hunting season. Uh, but typically most of the daytime activity that we're seeing, it's still in relation to one, either bedding or, uh, or pretty good security cover. Gotcha. Are you, uh, are you trying to get your stand close to bedding or off a bedding in more of a, a funnel or pinch point area or a transition area? What's, what's your, yeah. when you're, what is, when you're scouting, what are you looking for specifically? Well, as far I'm, as, as, I'm far not, as the, those three, I'm not hunting beds yeah. and, um, in the areas that we are, they're low deer densities and there are, uh, you could go find beds all over the place. Um, right. over the last four, four or five years down there, I've only found, um, two dirt beds out of all the miles that we've walked. Um, yeah. and you know, you know, you listen to Dan Infault talk about, um, the upper one third and the one tunnel on, you know, the leeward side of a, of a ridge. And you can go and you can almost look at a topography map and kind of point to where these bedding opportunities are. And typically uh, you can go up to those, those uh, secondary points or maybe on the inside of a, inside of a saddle on top of a mouth of a of drainage. And there'll be bedding opportunities there and you'll find a, a bed and there might be some hair in it. But from what we see is these deer have, so many different beds that um i think if you're if you're going in the similar terrain similar similar topography with low deer numbers trying to pinpoint and hunt a bed is it's like a needle in a haystack i think yeah, that you're I agree you're, you're probably just going to drive yourself crazy i agree um so i mean a lot of the stuff um i try to focus on primary scrapes on some type of terrain feature with security cover and that's that's typically um what i'm hunting now I'm 100% mobile. I've been mobile for a, a few years now. Um, so if there's at any point in time, you know, if something pops up or I see something on my way in, then it's going to change um, how I how I approach that, that stand location or that stand site. I may not even hunt it. Um, but, you know, typically if, if I'm marking stand locations on Onyx, you know, to come back and hunt in the, in the fall for my postseason scouting, it's, it's um, scrapes, primary scrapes. And I say primary scrapes. I'm looking for typically large uh, scrapes with a with a worked licking branch um, in relation to cover, where those deer can they don't feel too exposed when they're you know coming out working out licking branch and uh, pawing the ground up and, and urinating in that scrape. So um, now I'm not hunting 
directly over top of those scrapes either. Um, another thing that we've seen with so many trail cameras is a lot of times these four, five, six-year-old um, mountain bucks are, you know, they're scent checking these things before they're even coming in to, to work these a lot of times. So um, even though that scrape is the draw or the focus of the sit, a lot of times I'm trying to position myself downwind um, or, you know, above it if there's rising thermals or below it if there's, um, you know, dropping thermals to where I think that deer is going to come in and actually scent check um, scent check that area before it actually goes in and, work, and works that scrape. And, and that's where I get a, hopefully get a shot, op- shot opportunity. Right. And that, that may, you make a really good point there. And that's something that I really only put one and one together, you know, put it, put the piece of the puzzle together in the last like three or five years. And that is, you know, and I say this with a grain of salt because everything I've ever learned about a deer, I have seen them contradict themselves in other ways right. as well, right? Yeah. Oh, deer never right. walk right. on top of ridges and, and skyline themselves. Well, hey, look, I just right. saw this. Or, right. you know, exactly. deer always use one-third down, and then they do this, right? I've seen them do the opposite, right? So, but I will say this. When it comes to a mature buck, every, you know— as opposed to a non-mature buck, like a two or three-year-old, a two or three-year-old may throw caution to the wind a little bit more. Uh, you know, a, th- during the rut is a different story, but you know, they may go str- walk straight into a field, or they might walk straight into a scrape. But what you said there about a mature buck and how they approach. Um, escape, you know, a scrape, and they're even scent checking it before they're coming in. It's not like it's on a trail. Whatever point they decide to go to, it's almost like it's a day full of J-hooks for them where they're going downwind. They know where they want to go, but they're still going downwind of that point and then working their way up to it because they know they're stopping there. Does that make sense? 100% Dan. I've seen seen that happen so many times to where like a, a, a doe group will come on a trail and they'll go into an ag field here comes the buck on the same trail but he stops he walks 15 you know 15 yards 20 yards 30 yards however many yards down the fence line and cross at a lower point so he can get more of that that field's scent in his nose because how wind is uh, is um, being affected by the terrain yep you're 100% we've uh, I've seen it on the hoof, seen it happen last year, um, and we see it, you know, we see it on trail cameras. And that's something that, you know, I feel a little bit, um, uh, I don't want to use the word blessed, but lucky enough that you're spoiled. We have, <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah, we are because I mean, we have, I don't want to say we we have uh, an unlimited number of cameras because you know we 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 it's not like we just take however many cameras we want, but we have more cameras than an average guy. So if there's if there's a topography feature with a scrape like that, we'll have two cameras. We'll set a we'll set a camera up on the scrape to see what happens, what deer are coming in and working that scrape. But then, like that set that I described earlier with that lower bench, we also have a camera on that lower bench to see at what point those deer are walking that lower bench, scent checking, and then we compare those two uh, those two trail cameras. And a lot of times they do exactly what you just said. Yeah, they will walk that lower bench, scent check it, and then they end up jay hooking up into that scrape and then you know going working working that leaking branch and pulling the ground and, and urinating in it right so it's like if you only have one trail camera there it's like how many 
how many deer would you would you miss? Absolutely. Because there are deer that will will walk that lower bench and not come in and work that scrape. So it's like, man, it's uh, it's you know, whitetails are a crazy thing. Like yeah. regardless of what we talk about uh, and what we think, like there's always an outlier yeah. that's going to do the exact opposite, like you said. And at the end of the day, like there are no shoebox one size fits all answers. Right. They're just not. Yeah. However, with that said, I do believe there, I, I do believe there are averages, right? And I think what you've discussed, what we've discussed today, what you said, the principles that the way I hunt, right? I don't hunt big, you know, big woods. I mean, I, I have big chunks of timber that I hunt uh, that are strict. You know, I'm hunting in the timber, but you know, Iowa is generally a ag cover you know from bed to ag type of scenario right fingers up into ag fields and you're hunting something that's more uh big woods heavy aggressive terrain uh dictated and but but what i'm getting at here is the principles we've both discussed some of the same principles in our um in our different uh terrain in our different uh hunting method you know you hunt a specific area and terrain and and topography and i hunt something completely different but i think that the principles can overlap to where a guy in any area of the country really can say okay well if this works for him how can i apply that to my hunting situation i can give it a try and it may or may not work and you know like we always say i mean these things have been debated and discussed since the dawn of hunting podcasts but failing is equally as important as being successful being successful is more fun but failing right it's like just like you said earlier it's like man i know i can't put a tree stand here because my my thermals will do this and the wind will do this and i can't access this right so right. Right. i think that's what makes the game so fun dude yeah, I, that's that's just it. Like if it was, if it was easy and we were able to fill a tag every every time we were in the timber, it would, um, you know, for guys like us, it would lose the allure and right. and draw of uh, trying to figure this stuff out. Right. Do you ever have those dreams where, or not necessarily a dream, but more like a daydream where you're like, man, I would love a thousand acres of like manicured property. And then I envision myself <laughs> sitting in a box blind over top of a, a manicured uh, clover field. And I'm just like, this would be boring as shit. Yes. I've never daydreamed that because literally growing up, uh, my hunting property and my thing, my granddad's farm was not that far off from that. I mean, it wasn't a thousand acres, but, um, you know, the one farm, the big farm that we hunt is 350 continuous acres. Um, then he has a bunch of other ground there and it was like, you'd go sit during the rut and just, if you were a decent hunter, you'd kill 150, maybe not every year, but somebody in the group would kill, you know, a 150 or better off that farm every single year. Yeah. And it just got to the point where it's like, I'm not doing anything different. Like I'm not any better of a hunter than a guy off the street a guy off the street can come in here never know a thing about this property and sit on this this pinch point of this inside corner of this this ag field and you know probably find success relatively quick right i'm not really growing as a hunter i'm not becoming a better hunter i just need to challenge myself so yeah yeah i I, I know what you're saying it gets um um you know for guys that are just ate up with it i think the, the the challenge mentally is uh 
is the biggest draw. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy, uh, so thanks for hopping on the podcast today, BSing with me and chatting, uh, and uh, good luck uh, if you do any more scouting. Good luck with Exodus, and uh, good luck when it's time to start getting the bow out, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dan. Same, same goes to you, buddy. I tell you what, uh, these guys don't necessarily sponsor the podcast anymore, but like I've always said, I love working with good people, and uh, I've known Chad for a while now, and Chad is a good dude and runs a good business, and Exodus makes a good product, so if you want a trail camera, you know, go check out their shit, man. It's it's uh, it's legit. Um, I'm a huge fan of trail cameras that you can turn on and they work pretty simple right um but that's what exodus trail cameras do so if you want to look at a trail camera look at uh i don't know look at exodus and if you get the chance to just stop and and talk to these guys at one of these trade shows or bullshit with chad for a little bit he's a good dude man so chad sylvester Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast. Huge shout out to every one of you knuckleheads who takes time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I know uh, there's times where I get a little bit crazy. Uh, Maybe the audio quality isn't as good, but I'm glad you can see through all of that and appreciate uh, the content. And I think that's what it comes down to. I, I really appreciate you guys for listening. Huge shout out to all of the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. We have the Average Conservationist. These guys make badass apparel. Prime Archery, badass bows. Ozonics, badass badass scent elimination. Wasp broadheads, badass broadheads, obviously. Lone Wolf tree stands, badass tree stands. Vortex optics, badass optics. And uh, that's it. You know, 2020 is about giving back. So take some time, focus, take the focus off of you for a little bit and put it somewhere else, whether that's through volunteering for a a local conservation officer, going and picking up trash, doing something outside of your comfort zone, taking a new hunter hunting and, uh, you know, just giving back to the resource that we all take away from. I think that's very important. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will talk to you next week.